Welcome to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. All right, so we're going to continue our conversation around the subject of burned for such a time as this. And, and I feel that what I need to share this morning is very important and you need to pay attention to it. Let's pray and get into the word. Father, thank you because I'm anointed to teach your word. Thank you because your people are anointed to receive. And together faith is built up in the knowledge of the person of Jesus. I pray that light and understanding will come forth in and through your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Did I get a loud amen? Amen. All right. So we are looking at the story of Esther. And we talked about, what did we talk about last week? How to get your destiny fulfilled. Praise the name of the Lord. We talked about uh, how we summarized last week was accepting your upbringing or accepting your past. Or accepting the reality of how you grew up, Right? What happened to you? Accepting that reality. Number two. What's number two? Acknowledge. How many of you were here in church on Sunday? Oh, you didn't come again? How many of you were in church? You wrote down? All right. Acknowledge that God has what? A bigger plan and a purpose for your life. Now, I've always told you, if you're a member of this church, and when I mean by member, you're committed here, have a note for the things I teach have a note for the things I teach. And that's very important to your spiritual growth. Um, so you can follow up the things we're teaching. You know, sometimes people just jot messages and they can't even remember where the last message was. So you're not just writing for the sake of writing. You're writing with the mindset of uh, continuing to study these things, continuing to learn them. All right, so the church primarily is a place of education, and the approach to church should be the same approach you have towards school. That's, that's the mindset. That's the best mindset. Number three was what? Attempt to live a life that is not selfish and what? Self-centered. And the last one was what? Act on the dreams and the visions that God is giving to you. Perfect. So you have to take a a hold of these things. Now, uh, going back to the book of Esther, go to chapter 2. So I'm going to pick something from the book of Esther, uh, chapter 2. Thank you, Lord. How many of you still remember where Esther is? If you had a hard copy Bible, how many of you should remember where Esther is? Okay. If you have an electronic Bible, you know you don't need to use your brain anymore, right? <laughs> Just go and um, I'm, I'm kind of stuck with hard copy Bibles, and it's for a reason, actually. Esther chapter 2, I'm still old school. Verse... Seven, and we are going to stop at verse 16. 
Now, I want you, uh, this morning, we are zeroing on, on, his, on the particular aspect that we're able to fulfill destiny, and that is destiny happens in the context of relationships. Destiny happens <clears throat> in the context of relationships. The, the context of relationships I'm talking about here is accountability and mentoring. So you've got to follow carefully what I'm teaching this morning. Verse 7. So we're going to read from verse 7 to 16. So follow, and I'm going to give you two names you need to pay attention to there as we read. Pay attention as we read together the role of Mordecai and pay attention to the role of a man called Hegar, the chief of the eunuch. Mordecai and Hegar, pay attention to their roles. So when you get to that verse, you can underline it or you can mark it when you see their roles in the life of Esther. So verse 7, he was bringing, talking about Mordecai, he was bringing up Hadashah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had no father or mother. Remember we talked about this last week. That the fact that you don't have a father and a mother does not mean you should not fulfill destiny. Am I right? Now, the young lady was beautiful of form and face. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So it came about when the command and decree of the king were heard and many young ladies were gathered to the satilda of Susher into the custody of Hagar that Esther was taken to the king's palace into the custody of Hagar who was in charge of the women. Now the young lady pleased him and found favor with him so he quickly provided her with cos cosmetics and food gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace and transferred her and her maids to the best place in, in the harem. Esther did not make known her people or her kindred for Mordecai had instructed her that she should not make them known. So pay attention to that again. Every day, pay attention to this, Mordecai walked back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. Now when the turn of each young lady came to go into the king Ahasuerus, after the end of her 12 months, under regulations for the women, for the days of their beautification were completed as follows, six months with the oil of myrrh, six months with spices and the cosmetics for the women. My God. I'm, I'm telling you. The young lady would go into the king in this way. Anything that she desired was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's birth. So let me just explain so that you, you understand. Uh, in those days when the kings needed to marry, they were placed under what you call the eunuch. And this is very interesting because the eunuch were actually men. But they are men who had been so committed to the king, they, they, they were not uh, sexually involved with the women. And they handled the women for the king in such a way that before the king would choose, they would have to go through 12 months of grooming so that the king would choose the best. And um, on this particular occasion, if you are going to the king, because the king will have to choose who to marry, you can ask for anything you want that you think will aid your, your, your uh, CV in front of the king, right? So if you wanted uh, uh, enlargement, 
of certain things around your body, you could ask for, they would give you. If you wanted more spices, eh? or you wanted tiro, you know tiro. <laughs> if you have a grandmother in the village, you know what tiro means. I don't know the English word for it. I just know it's tiro. If you want tiro, more, <laughs> they'll give to you. If you want lip gloss, they'll give to you. All right. It's very important to follow this now. Then, uh, verse 14, in the evening she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem, to the custody of Shazgar, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. This is another one. She would not go again to the king, unless the king delighted in her, and she was summoned by name. Now, when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihal, the uncle of Medicare, who had taken her as his daughter, came into the king, she did not request anything except what Hagar, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the woman, advised. Now, follow this. You know, there is nothing in the scripture written without an instruction for us. Now, every woman could go and pick anything. But this particular uh, Hagar told Esther, this is what I advise you to go, to go with. Pay very close attention. Don't miss this. The favor of God was already in her life. But there was an impute from this relationship that aided that favor to work so she can get into a place of destiny. You know why? Because this is the eunuch in charge of the king's concubine. If it's the eunuch in charge of the king's concubine, he evidently know what the king would like. It's like somebody say, I want 10 of you to apply for a job. And the person tells you behind, add this certificate. Do you think the person is foolish for telling you to add that certificate? What, what do you think the person is trying to do? To give you an extra advantage. But look at this and pay very close attention to this. The, the scripture says, the king's eunuch was in charge of the women advised. Advised. That means... Esther was in a position to do what? To accept or to reject. So ultimately, pay close attention. Ultimately, I'll just try to use an example so I want you to get in. This is Esther. This is the favor of God. No, this is Esther. This is the favor of God. This is the advice. Esther and the favor of God that was already settled. What was going to ultimately determine if Esther got into destiny what was she was going to do with the advice? So if she neglected the advice, she wouldn't get into destiny even though the favor of God is upon her life. And how that advice is going to come is going to come in the context of relationships. Two vital relationships here. The first one was the relationship of Mordecai. Secondly, she was going to ascend into the relationship of Hagar, who was in charge of the concubine. So, at every point in that relational context, there was someone put in there by God to provide a certain bit of advice that might look irrelevant but vital to destiny fulfillment. 
And one of the reasons, let me summarize the message and I'll put the scriptures together. One of the reasons a lot of people do not get into fulfilling destiny is that they isolate themselves from destiny-fulfilling relationships and build for themselves peer relationship that supports whatever they are doing. Remember, this advice did not come from the other girls. What do you think would have happened if it, if it were today? Do you think they would ask anybody for advice? No. You just gather yourself together. What do you think the king would like? See, where is he from? See, he's an Igbo man. Say, Igbo, 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 Igbo. I think they like fat women. <laughs> and, and, and you see people just fulfilling destiny by gathering together and thinking. I think, I think, I think, I think. And that whole pair thing pushes people into really not ascending to destiny. You cannot fulfill your destiny maximally if you're not in the context of relationships. And I'm going to show you how this plays out. Remember, I've talked about Mordecai who acted as a spiritual father or as a father to Esther. And I've also talked about Hagar, who acted in that context in, his, in her workplace. Let's use workplace now. The workspace. All right. Now, let's just read on so that we can finish. Verse 16. So Esther, are we there? Yeah. So Esther was taken to the king Ahasuerus to his royal palace in the third month, which is the month Thibet, in the seventh year. Now the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found favor and kindness and all of that and all of that. And Esther became the queen. Now, when you read the book of Esther from our regular readership, what you will find out is the fact that we talk so much about the favor of God, but we do not talk about the humility of Esther to receive mentorship and the humility of Esther to take the right advice at the right time. And sometimes we under over, we overestimate the work of favor without our input. In life, generally, it's the little things that will make the difference. It's the little things. It's the little things that will make the difference. Just the little things. And you need the impulse of those little things in your life if you're going to get into destiny. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Now, the contextual relationships that God has placed around us need to be maximized for destiny to be fulfilled. Now, I'm going to take the first context. The first context is the context of family. The context of family. Now, I'm going to do, deal with this in two ways. Number one, it's possible also that you did not have the right family growing up. God replaces that with a spiritual family, which is the context of your local church. But let's look at the natural family. The natural family, we underestimate the, the impact that the natural family has in the life of people in fulfilling destiny. And please, forgive me in advance, but if you know that you came from a family that was not really helpful in your fulfilling purpose, you have like triple times the work to do. 
And so when you know the kind of family you came from and you find a spiritual family or you find a family, the house of God, a spiritual family, a local church that's got that DNA, you need to plug in so you can actually almost replace what you did not get in a natural family. Most of us that are struggling at our adulthood were struggling because we're raised in families that there was no context to help us fulfill destiny. And that's very key. Now, like we said, that's gone. That's past. You're an adult now. You take responsibility for your choices. But then you cannot now also now at this stage be living in isolation without accountability. Some of us have never been properly fathered. You haven't had that fathering figure or that mother figure, that, that, that accountability figure over your life that ensures that certain things are imputed in your life so you can fulfill purpose and destiny. So, so let's look at the context of family. First of all, you would realize that uh, in Acts chapter 16, go with me to Acts 16 verse 1. Are you, are you still here? Say amen. The place is very quiet. All right. Just to be sure you're here. Acts 16 verse 1. Paul also came to Deborah and to Lystra and a disciple was there named Timothy. Pay attention now. It says a disciple was there named Timothy. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. That means the father was not a Jew. So we find, um, we find a place where the Jewish mother married a Greek father. Alright, so it, now, something can happen here. The Greek had, the Greek, Greek, Greek had a lot of gods, right? They've got so many gods. Timothy could have followed the way of his father. Let's read verse 2, show you something. And it was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconum. Paul wanted this man to go with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts for they all knew that his father was Greek. So pay close attention here. Here was Timothy, young man. His father was Greek, so he wasn't circumcised. The mother was Jewish. The Jews needed to be circumcised, but he, he wasn't circumcised. But then, let's read 2 Timothy first. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 so that you can understand where I'm going. 2 Timothy 1 5. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, 2 Timothy 1, 5, Paul writing to him says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure it is in you as well. Now, this is what is happening. Uh, Timothy grew up in this family where the mother was Jewish, and obviously the grandmother was Jewish, and the father was Greek. Then the mother took it upon herself to impute the knowledge of scriptures into Timothy. Uh, the mother did not say, your father is Greek. Whatever you want to do with your life, you can do. If you like, go and serve Greek goddess. Me, I'm serving Jehovah. The mother didn't do that. They were intentional. From the grandmother to the mother, they were intentional in infusing the knowledge of scriptures into Timothy. Now, this is what happened. When Paul got converted, um, he, he heard about this young disciple named Timothy. Well spoken of. 
Context of the local church again. Context of the congregation. Word spoken of, right? Acts chapter 16. Right? Verse 2. And he was well spoken of by the brethren. So Paul comes into Lystra and the brethren are talking of this young guy called Timothy. And, and, and Paul got to know Timothy because the brethren were speaking well of him. Now Paul was an apostle. I needed to travel with someone. Who do you think Paul was going to pick? Who do you think Paul picked? Who do you think Paul picked? Those of you in this side. Are we having a problem this morning? Who do you think Paul picked? It's just Timothy. Paul picked Timothy. What if the mother did not disciple Timothy? Do you think Paul would pick him? Chances are no. What if the mother felt, since you have a Greek father, any God is fine for you. Just so far be serving something. Do you think Paul would have picked Timothy? No. So Paul picks Timothy. What do you think Timothy now replaced in, what do you think Paul replaced in Timothy's life? A spiritual father. Brought that fathering context into his life. And Paul says, guy, if you need to travel with me, because the Jews know your father is a Greek, you will not be able to penetrate some places and minister to them. You have to be circumcised. How many of you know what circumcision is? Only one person in this church. You don't, you don't have an idea what circumcision is. This is not circumcision of the heart. Real circumcision. You know, I, I'm not, I don't like blood. I'm not sure I'd do well as a nurse, as a hospital attendant, as a doctor, I'll be woeful. You know, I can't withstand pain. I can't withstand pain in people. You know, my, my son, it was my wife that went to do the second. I could not stand there. I can't, I can't watch it. I just can't watch it. Left for me, the man will be uncircumcised. <laughs> you know, but I can't stand that, right? Imagine Timothy, not a young child. And then Paul says, before you can travel with me, we have to circumcise you. The first thing is, do you mean pull my trouser? Do you understand that? Listen, that was not cheap. That was not cheap. That, and, and remember what I'm telling you. Timothy could have as well said, Paul, thank you very much for your concern. Thank you very much. You really want me to travel with you. But at this point, I am not a small child. At this age, I know what I want for my life. Circumcision is not part of my goal. How many people miss out fulfilling destiny because they are not humble enough to take instructions that are not convenient? And he circumcises Timothy and starts traveling with Timothy. Years down the line, not too long, Timothy becomes the pastor of, an, of Ephesus Church. History has it had about 20,000 members. How do you know that the young man whose father is Greek, remember your past? Right? Remember your background? Had in him the destiny to be a pastor of 20,000 member church. But how did that happen? The context of relationship. The brethren spoke well of him. Paul came into his life. Paul gave him instructions. He took and started traveling with Paul. 
And Timothy that we know today, that we all use as an example to young people, to young preachers, my training, my ministry training platform is called Dear Timothy, is because there was a context of family that enabled his destiny and he submitted to a man called Paul that enabled his destiny. Saints, we underrate the value of what the brethren say about us. Do you remember when they were picking, um, Acts of the Six, when they were picking the people who to, to serve tables? They said, those that have what? Good reputation. I, I know if I'm to take a, a poll or study or a survey in this place, I know there are many people today who are doing well in life because very early in life, within the context of the local church, within the context of a community of believers, someone took you and invested extra in you, gave you an extra book, gave you an extra attention, placed extra demands on your life. Unfortunately, we are being raised in a generation where we don't want to be accountable to anybody because we think we know everything. Are you still here? Are, are you understanding where we're going with this? There's a context of family. So let me put it in, let me put it in perspective for you. In Genesis chapter 18 verse 19, God was speaking to Abraham. Let's, let's turn there, please. Go with me. All right? This is very simple, but is, is a bit technical and prophetic. So you've got to just follow carefully. In Genesis 18 and verse 19, look at what the Bible says about Abraham. For I have chosen him, God was speaking to Abraham, for I have chosen him so that he may command his children as his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Now, so that, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. So what God will bring to Abraham was based on how his children walked in the way of God. As Christian parents, it is a thing of shame sometimes that we don't know what getting our children involved in can help them to become in life. We are more committed to our children joining the carrot club for self-defense. We are more committed to them joining the ballet club. We're more excited with that. We don't, we don't mind if the children miss church. But their home lesson teacher, they must not miss. Their piano lesson, they must not miss. Because you read a book that when children learn piano and learn maths, they are very intelligent. It's good. But remember what we're talking about. Destiny fulfillment really has nothing to do with what school the child went to. You can go to the best school in the world and still not fulfill purpose. We underestimate the input of God's word into our children. Because we also sometimes don't even have time for that. How many times do we even, are we so conscious about which church we go to and what our children are being taught? What is being infused into them? What are children learning? What are children learning? Most of us had gotten to where we are today because somebody took that time, that patient, and see, see your family from just, um, 
how do I put it now? Help me without sounding offensive, right? See family as just, don't see family just like, you know, now society will feel like married, right? Anniversaries, birthdays, vacations, beautiful pictures, you know, lying on each other's body, tying each other's neck, climbing on each other's back, and just displaying, say, wow, 50 years, forever to go, thank you, Jesus. And the only time, thank you, Jesus, is acknowledging your home is only when you people go to the studio. There's no context there. There's nothing God can walk in there so that the th- there are things God has spoken to you in your life that will have to come to pass in your life because your children know God. I told my son, it's going to 14, it'll be 14 in December. I told him, I said, son, you're no longer a child. You have to learn to know God for yourself now. These are the books I read. This is the Bible. It's no longer the God of my father. It's no longer my father is a pastor. I told him, I said, son, right now, from now, you have to start negotiating your destiny. From 14, you've got to know God for yourself. You've got to know how God speaks. You've got to hear the voice of God. You've got, you've got to find out what God wants you to do. Do I have anything I want you to study? Nothing. If you like, go and do French. If you like, do and study. That's none of my business. Find out what God has called you to do and pursue it. Because I know at the end of the day, that's what we count. I don't have a dream to have an engineer. I don't have a dream to have a doctor. I don't have the capacity to have dreams for my children. God already has dreams for them. My job is to help them find that dream. Do I want a doctor in my family? I really don't care. Do I want an engineer in my family? I really don't care. Because at the end of the day, I will not have children who will study all the subjects. Because maybe at the end of my life, it's a tailor I need. Do you understand what I'm saying? (laughs) But do you get the context of what I'm trying to say? We are not forcing our destinies that we did not become on our children. We are creating a platform so that God's plan for their life will come to pass. I would have been a doctor if my father was not a canoe carver. Now, I swore to my father before he died that a doctor would come out of the family. You are derailing that child. Good wishes, good ambition, good stuff. But it's the dream of the father you need to nurture. It's the dream of the father you need to nurture. Are you still here? It's the dream of the father. God has things. You see, let me explain something what family is. When you start a family, God wants to use you to do many things. And all the things you need to do, you cannot fulfill them. And so what happens? Your family is a, is, a, is a platform to do what? To fulfill those things. There are prophecies God gave you at your young age that you will see materializing your son. So what about if the context is not provided? So the, the family relationship is that relationship where we provide the context for destiny to be fulfilled. And how do we provide that context? We direct them to the word. Train up a child in the way he should go. The way. There's only one way. There are not many ways to train up a child. There's only one way. What's the way? It's the way of the word. That's the only way. We all know. Life has proven to us that even education is not a factor for success. How many of us agree? Yeah. You, you, I mean, some of you are well richer than your classmates. You went to the same school, studied the same subjects. 
read the same thing. The people who have been looking for jobs, very intelligent, looking for jobs, I mean, in the last 10 years, the only reason they have not given them the jobs is that they are more intelligent than the person interviewing them. By the time the person hears them speak English, if I employ this person, they will sack me. So their intelligence has kept them unemployed. Do you understand what I'm saying? They are so intelligent, you can't employ them. For the guy answer two, three questions, say, no, no, this is a threat to the organization. And the guy has got an experience. Do you get what I'm saying? So, so that is, I mean, it's beautiful to go to school. It's beautiful to have all of those things. But if we're going to talk about destiny fulfillment, there must be the context of that word. Let me show you something again. We talked about it in total immersion, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. Is somebody following this? Say amen if you are. Alright. Deuteronomy. <laughs> I was listening to not consciously though. I was listening to a preacher unconsciously. And he said, Deuteronomy is actually dethrone your enemy. <laughs> I said, wow, this is deep. I've never seen it like that before. So go to dethrone your enemy, chapter 6 and verse 7. It says, it says look, look, look at verse 5. Let's start, let's start reading from verse 4. In, in verse 4, uh, in verse four, the scripture talks about the oneness of God, monotheism. We don't have many gods. It's one God. So they always proclaimed, and if you read the scripture in the Old Testament, you'll find it always proclaimed because there were many gods around them. Remember what uh, Joshua told the children of Israel? That as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord if you choose to serve the God of your fathers and God of the Amorites. So you always hear this proclamation. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You always hear that. You always hear that. Proclamation of the only one God. It's a beautiful, beautiful phrase. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, right? Let the things I'm teaching you today be on your heart. Then look at the next responsibility. Remember what we were talking about, context of family. Context of family. What's the next responsibility? You shall teach. Who shall teach? Not me. Who shall teach? Uh-huh. <laughs> Why are you pointing to me? Am I your father? <laughs> All right. So you shall teach. You've got that responsibility to teach them. How do you teach them? How do you teach them? What's the, what's the attitude of teaching here? I'm looking for that word. Diligently. Diligently would mean not casually. Am I right? Diligently would mean intentionally. Am I right? Diligently would mean in a planned approach. Am I right? Teach them diligently to your sons. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house, and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land, which is what your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you. Great and splendid cities, which you did not build. And houses, you know, full of good things, which you did not feel. And, and, and all of that. So, it talks about their process. It talks about what they need to do. And, and listen to me, saints of God. What was God instructing them to do this for? To provide a context where they can fulfill destiny. A context. 
Where God can act, let me tell you, what God wants to do with your children, you have no clue. Oh, absolutely no clue. Oh, absolutely no clue. I know you have great plans for them. God's plans are greater. I know you have good intentions for them. God's intentions are gooder. (laughs) God's got the best intentions for them. You know, sometimes we do things in the natural just because we want our children to have a good life. Many of you sacrifice a lot, send your children to good school. You do that diligently. It's beautiful. Thank God for that sacrifice. Are you putting that same sacrifice in their spiritual context? Some of you have heard my story. I, I didn't want to become a pastor. grew up in a pastor's home. And I did everything so that God would not call me. And one time I just thought, maybe I'll leave the house. So I, I ran out of the house. I left the house for one year. My parents didn't know where I was. Nobody knew where I was. It was my friend. Just left the house. And uh, at a particular time, my parents just decided if I don't come back, then they're going to announce me on TV. You know, my parents are patient. One year, I didn't see a child. <laughs> but you know what? When I was growing up, my dad was a vice principal then in, 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 uh, in the school in the village. When the school closes, my dad would... Uh, he had a bicycle, white bicycle. So he was, a, he was a wealthy man in the context of the village. He had, if you had a black bicycle, you were okay. But if you had a white bicycle, you know that white bicycle that had that... Steam, steam, uh, white horse... You are blessed. Blessed is your generation for remembering. If you have white horse, you make sure you rode gently so that that sound will come. So my dad had a white horse. So I used to wait and proudly sit at the back. Um, But he would tell me to wait when school had closed by two. And he would say, let's pray. We pray for one hour. And he would say, what did God say? I would say, nothing. He would say, "Ah, no, you will hear God. That's how I started functioning in the word of knowledge. People would come to our house with issues, and, and my dad would say, let's pray about it and see what God says. So, I mean, at a very young age, without knowing what, you know, the, the gift of the word of knowledge just started flowing in my life. That's how I actually started flowing in the word of knowledge. So I was, I was with my friends, and uh, I heard the voice of God say, go home. It's time to go home. And let me tell you, it was only that voice that took me home. Because, of course, I was home before I left. So that means there was nothing that was going to take me back. But you know what? That staying back to pray with my father, and he intentionally saying, what did God tell you? Training me to hear the voice of God was the context he provided for God to pick me from the pit and say, go back home. And it's that same voice that led me here. It's that same voice that is leading me. Do do you understand? That's the context. Everything you are giving to your children without the knowledge of God, I'm sorry to say, is wasted. Have you not seen people who send their children to school in good schools and then they come back with cocaine? And they are talking to the child. He's looking at you like you are seven people. I'm, do you understand? And then you are blaming yourself. Did I do wrong? I, do you understand? It's an extreme example, but sometimes we need those extreme examples to understand context. 
Don't try to attempt to do by prayer what you could have done daily intentionality. Creating that context. Some of us today seated in this auditorium know how far our life would have gone if we knew God the way we know God now very early. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Ah, you'd have gone far. You'd have gone far. <laughs> Some of you, your route to Christianity was through prayer houses. So we can count that as wasted years. No knowledge of God's word. Now you know what you know today. Why deny your children the ability to understand these things? The Jews had a requirement by the law that by the age of 12, their children will know the Torah. The Jews are deliberate till tomorrow about infusing that knowledge into them. Is it, is it surprising that they are one of the wealthiest nations, they are some of the richest people? It's not just because God favors them. You already have that favor, but is there a context for destiny to happen? This is a soul-stirring message, and we can't talk about destiny without asking the difficult questions. Is there a context? So, we should not just see marriage as just a sexual union of reproduction, but a context where we raise children for destiny fulfillment. Psalm tells us that, that blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Children are like arrows that need to be sharpened. So, it's like God give you arrows and you pick up your first child and you shoot that child into destiny, shoot him into purpose. There's a process of sharpening that arrow, making sure the bow is well stretched. I mean, that whole thing, let's not just see family as just the enjoyment and all of that. It's, 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 it's a context for destiny. Some of us can be the way we are because really nobody in the family cared about us. And so we started navigating life very early and got into bad friends. I mean, so it's just that context. There's just that context. I, I, I was speaking with a friend, with a pastor friend of mine. I pray I can finish this today. But I was speaking with a pastor friend of mine. If I don't finish, I'll continue. I was speaking with a pastor friend of mine. He pastors Destiny Christian Center in, in, um, in Verona, Italy. Pay very close attention to this. And he said, because even in the natural, when families are well-grounded, let's even take out the spiritual thing, you discover that the society is well-grounded. Am I right? So he was telling me that in Italy, the teenage pregnancy rates is very low. We're not talking about because of Christianity. You know, Italy is not known for Christianity as such. It says, but one thing is responsible. It says the Italians think in terms of family. The Italians are big on family. And if you watch some of those movies, Godfather, Don Clericuzzi, and all of those, you understand how they, they think in family. So, there is that fami strong family framework that really does not allow them to be very liberal because anything you do is almost like hey the family name during a report in South Africa of a particular place in South Africa I won't mention the names the teenage pregnancy rates went up by maybe 89 percent in just two years lockdown period 
since they say we should stay inside, what shall, what shall we do? So in between 2020, 2020, 2021, 22 years of COVID, why people were masking up, teenage pregnancy went up, and it was attributed to a fatherless culture. Family is big. You, you need to be careful who you marry if you are not married. And if you are already married, you need to readjust yourself. It's big. It's big. You watch the black American culture in America, you just study black American culture, and you would find that. Find that. Check the prisons in America. Go to black American suburb and just check context. And this is where we need to be careful because we're importing a lot of white stuff, western stuff into our culture. We, we, we used to, I wouldn't even say we have right now, but you know we used to have a very strong family culture, right? And that's why our marriages was between families. Because what they were trying to do was to preserve, preserve, preserve. But you know now we are so liberal because we've taken a lot of those western stuff and that thing attacks the root of families. And no wonder we are heading in that direction. And I say this, that if we do not stick to the word of God and stick to the principles of God's word, what America is, give us a few years, we'll be headed down the line. Because we, we take a lot of these things in and we don't even cross-check them with the scriptures. So let, let me go on so I will leave that. There is a context of a husband and a wife fulfilling destiny in the context of marriage. So we've talked about children. Ephesians 5.21. Ephesians 5.21. Now, I want to say this. Most times in our marriage classes, I'm praying the Lord will help me next year to start teaching about marriage. I don't think I have a teaching on marriage yet. But most times in our marriage classes, we start with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. What does Ephesians 5, 22 say? Uh-huh. See, even without the projector, you have quoted. What does Ephesians 5, 22 say? Quickly. Wives, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. Hmm? Hello. How many of us have heard that subject until you are tired? Right? But you know, it's wrong to teach Ephesians 5, 22. And skip Ephesians 5.21. The basis of a healthy marriage is not Ephesians 5.22. The basis of a healthy marriage is Ephesians 5.21. Let's read it. After all, 21 comes before 22, Abby. Is that deep? Is that a revelation? What comes before 22? Abby? All right. So you can't lay block with 22 without laying... Block of 21, all right. 21. 21. And be subject. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That means there is a mutual subjection that first of all you have to learn 
among the brethren. Why you find it difficult to submit to your husband is because within the context of the local church, you find submission difficult. And why you find it difficult also to love your wife as Christ loved the church is because within the context of the local church, any little thing, you get offended. So, so people go into marriage thinking they are perfect when they haven't practiced basic Christian living within the context of the local church. Nobody can tell you where to sit down. Nobody can tell you anything in church. In your mind, you are an adult. You know your, yourself. You are not a small child. No problem. You now get into marriage that way. If you look at the things that make a lot of people divorce, are separated, some things are very minute. And if you trace it, it's the issue of mutual submission. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That means as a Christian first within the context of the church, we are submitted to one another. Do you understand? It is out of that submission you will now pick one person to be your wife. You will now pick one person to be your husband. But most of us don't understand. There are husbands here whose marriage will be peaceful if they understand mutual submission. Anything you say is right, even if it's wrong. Because you learned family from a very parochial mindset. Some people have wives who are better money managers than them. Yet, they will never allow the woman to manage the money in the house. Then every time they raise the issue, you will just shout. You will just shout, am I a small child? Am I a small child? You're not a small child, but the fruit coming out of your life is childish. You might have the, the body of an adult, but the product of a child. So we're not looking at the body. Bodily, you're an adult, but the fruits. Jesus says, if you don't believe me, believe the works that I do. The works that are coming out of you are childish. But there's no context of mutual submission. There's no context. And that's why I always advise single, don't go and marry somebody who is way older than you because of economic safety. Because you won't be able to give suggestion. Say, I'm taking my friend, my friend, keep quiet. Keep quiet. My friend, keep quiet. They're talking, they say, you're thinking. What are you thinking? <laughs> and, and that is it. And you, you know, you have, but there's no context there. And I wish I had time to pursue this because we've got to understand the scripture says that if your relationship at home is not sorted, your prayers will be hindered. Did, did the Bible talk about that? So, so what is the number one tool of fulfilling destiny? It's prayers. Now, if your relationship at home is not sorted, there's no business praying. I mean, you should pray, but do you understand what I'm saying? There will not be answer. Hello? The, the, the partnership you should have in marriage is not joint accounts. You know some of us are so money conscious. Are you, you people have joint accounts? You have joint accounts? <laughs> you, your money can agree, but your prayer is not agreeing. You know prayer will solve what money cannot solve. You have that agreement at home. There are husbands and wives who have zero agreement on spiritual issues. Zero agreement. One is praying fire to come down. And if you listen carefully, it is you they are praying that their fire will burn. 
if you pay attention, you are just getting born up, born up, born up, born up. I'm really wondering, it's you. It's you. <laughs> they are killing you there. I mean, I'm telling you. <laughs> You've got to find this, this context, right? This context. <laughs> this context. This context of mutual submission. So marriage for the child of God is bigger than just sexual intercourse. It's bigger than just pictures. It's about, is God creating a framework so that we can fulfill destiny and the children coming from us can fulfill destiny? I mean, you can have money and not fulfill destiny. So we're not talking about wealth. I'm not, having, I'm not even having a discussion about wealth. That the greater things that God wants to use you. That's why when Esther's parents died, by divine providence, God provided her, that family. Some of you, your natural family is nothing to write home about. But you will discover, let me tell you this, and pay attention to this, very prophetic. If God has a big purpose for your life, he will take you very early and give you to people who just accept you as family. What God wants to do is he wants to provide a framework for destiny. Some of you, if you look at your life, you just some people just accepted you. They don't. They just took you. I have I have the work. It might just be your manager who just take interest in you and is hard on you and is hard on you. I'll talk about that. Giving you all kinds of advice that is not giving everybody. See, God has a purpose for you. But let's really deal with family so we can talk about the other ones. Are you still here? Are, are you following what I'm saying today? Context. So, so we need to treat family with a sense of reverence. Checking with God if we're doing the right thing. Amen. Okay. So, there's that mutual submission. And the reason is because... Let me, let me say this. Let me say this. Adam left the garden because Eve gave him something. And let me, say, let me tell you how God dealt with that. God did not say, Eve, you are very stubborn. You caused my child to fall. Uh, okay, Adam, I know it's not your fault. Eve, go outside first. I want to talk to Adam. Do, do you realize God didn't do that? Hey, do you realize God didn't do that? God addressed them. Of course, God addressed them individually, but God addressed them corporately. The failure of Eve was the failure of Adam. God sent both of them out of the garden. Let me give you another context. Sarah told Abraham, he says, go into Haggai, my maidservant. And Sarah obeyed. Um, Abraham obeyed. Ishmael was bettered out of the will of God. So Sarah, with her advice, provided context for Adam to disobey, for Abraham to disobey God. And re- remember, one of the greatest problems we have in our world today eh, is that context. I won't mention name because I want to live long. But do you understand? If you don't understand, leave it like that. If you don't get it, forget about it. There is that context there. That one advice that is taken outside of the will of God can birth something that you might wrestle with for the rest of your life. So there's a context. Came from your wife. Just, Just casual. Just came from your wife. So you want to make sure that the suggestions of your wives are birthed in the spirit. Because you might so be in love that you might not cross-check with God. 
and you act on it and Ishmael comes out. And then later, Ishmael now becomes an issue to everybody else. Do you get what I'm saying? Let me balance that up. Now, <laughs> and you know, our lovely women can be funny. Hey, guy now has given birth. Of course, she's the one that has a child. So you see all these things you watch in Nigerian film. If you read the Bible, you will not need film. Hagar started misbehaving. Was not respecting Sarah again. Sarah said, ah, me? Not in this life. You, I will send you packing. <laughs> Hagar thought he was joking. Sarah met Abraham and said, Oga, we won't stay here. Say, what's happening? He said, but are you not the one that said, I said so, I've changed my mind. And Abraham didn't want to do that. God told him, listen to your wife. That means, pay close attention. Listening to the wife was not wrong. Which advice to take was where the issue is. And that is the problem of life. Which advice to take? I go into Hagar. Send Hagar away. Send Hagar away. But that's the context. So, when we talk about getting married to a believer, we're not just talking about a man who goes to church or a girl who goes to church. We're talking about somebody who's got a vital walk with God because in the moment of your life where those suggestions begin to come, they are destiny-making moments. Amen. All right. So, I'm going to stop at the workplace and I think I'll take this up again. But let me see how much time I have. But I, I, are you understanding this? Are you following this context of mutual relationship? Context of imputing this on our children? Context of mutual submission? Allowing certain things to be dealt with in your life? So that as each of you chaplain each other as husband and wife, you're getting yourself ready for God to drop that whole destiny and purpose on you. Let, let, me, let me use Pastor Mary and myself as an example. I, I'm us, I'm, I'm, I mean, in between both of us, I am a typical visionary. I like to do things. I'm, I'm aggressive. Let's go for it. You know, that's my personality. Okay? It helps because of the apostolic type of ministry that God has given to me. So I can go to a nation I know nobody, Bram, and just birth things. I remember many years ago, I went to Cameroon. I spent, I spent maybe a month or so in Cameroon. And in, 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 like, in like three weeks, I planted a church. I planted a church. You know, and uh, me and my friend were trying to say, how can we get venue? How can we get venue? I just saw one garage, you know, in the compound. I said, what is in that garage? He said, oh, it is. I said, let's go and tell the landlord that we'll clean the garage. We'll keep it clean. We'll be using it for church service. He said, he knows sure the man will agree. I said, let's go. We went, and that's where we started the church, okay? So that's my nature. Pastor Mary is more laid back, take time, you know, take time, take her time, you know, I'm patient and everything. So if I want to do something in 2024, I'll start telling her now. Like, yeah, two years' time, we're going to do this. Then she processes it, prays about it and everything. But I also, because of that nature that I have, that adventurous nature, I can also be very rash sometimes in my decisions. So I can just decide, I'm not doing this thing again. And then that patient nature comes in and says, you know what? You will do it. Do you get what I'm saying? 
Now, if she just say, it's true, my husband, we are not doing it again. This will scatter. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So, now, pay attention to this. This is not just about personality type. That's not where I'm going. I'm talking about your walk with God and how God works with you. God works with me in that urgency, heated, go for it because I need that dynamics to plant church, to enter nations, to go in. I'm the risk for it. Let's go. The worst thing that will happen is um, you die. And then, we are not, I mean, we are not afraid to meet God in the assignment. Do you get what I'm trying to say? She's not that kind of person. So you've got to understand that marriage is just more than that union of I like your face, I like how you smile, what attracted me to you is your open teeth, every time you gap to just smile, it will seem as if life has left me. Life will leave you. Do you understand? Because <laughs> in destiny matters, it's not open teeth. Do you understand? Okay. So, so you, 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 you have to have perspective to these things more than the natural man. You have to have spiritual perspective to these things. Are we, are we good? Alright. Let's look at your workplace. I'll talk on that just briefly. Workplace. Workplace. The, the workplace that God has put you into. Remember, we talk about Mordecai, right? Serves as spiritual father. And then um, Hegea, the head of the eunuch. The workplace that God has put you, if you are sensitive to the spirit of God, in that workplace, God is also providing relational context to prepare you for destiny. I'll give you two quick examples. In Acts chapter 7, verse 22, please. Acts 7, 22. I pray you really take this message to heart and pray over it. Pray over it. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. And he was a man of power in words and in deeds. Now, God needed to do something with Moses. Right? Pay attention to this. God needed to do something with Moses. Moses could not function in that capacity because he didn't have that framework. What did God do? God supernaturally engaged that Moses would go learn under Pharaoh. History has it that in, in the Egyptian palace, the typical subjects include, included arithmetic, geometry, rhythmics, harmony, prosody, philosophy, etc., from a guy called Book, 1978. They researched what was taught at the palace. All these things were taught at the palace. Why did God need all those things? Because Moses was going to lead about 3.5 million people out of Egypt. He needed capacity to be built. Why did God send you to that workplace? Why is your manager taking interest in you? Why is your lecturer taking that interest in you? Why is that man in the workplace, everybody will do the same shabby work. He will not rebuke them. He would rebuke you. Why? Instead of taking offense, know that there is a context for destiny. My dad, when he was a teacher, was secretary to the PTA chairman, uh, secretary to the PTA committee, not PTA now. Um, the staff, right? I don't know what it's called. They're called. The teachers, the teachers, uh, the, all the teachers in the school, he was their secretary. So he used to write a lot, you know, take notes, minutes, and everything. My dad posted something recently and said, you know what, that was what helped him to start preparing outlines. And you know, at that time, it was a job nobody wanted. Ah, we will take minutes. <laughs> when you are ready, we will continue this meeting. Do you understand? See, I want you to go to work. Don't have an approach 
to your work like you know what i'm just here for the money what is there to do oh yeah tick the box seven o'clock boom twelve four when they say we close by five four by four o'clock you have wrapped up say how many minutes ten once it's one minute past you are out of the you see if you approach work like that you won't have the context for destiny there is something in your workplace. There is someone in your workplace that God is positioning to prepare you for that which is to come. I can tell you about David also. David will be king of Israel. But what happened? God pushed him to learn on that soul. And in fact, sometimes it is learning how things should not be done. And someone wanted to kill him. But David behaved himself wisely. Joseph will become prime minister. But how many of you know God did not just shoot him to become a prime minister? God did not just take him from slavery to become a prime minister because he had no idea how to be a prime minister. So he worked for Potiphar. High-ranking Egyptian official. Worked so diligently till he rose to the point where Potiphar, if you read your scripture carefully, I don't have time to pursue this, but if you read your scripture carefully, the scripture says everything under Potiphar was left for Joseph. It's only what he ate and his wife that he knew about. That same phrase it was, is what was used when he became prime minister. Pharaoh said, everything under this kingdom will be under your care. That was to tell us that his becoming a prime minister was an amplification of how he served Pharaoh. So while he was serving Pharaoh, in his mind, he was a slave, but God was preparing him to become a prime minister. Take your eyes off the future. Enjoy the process where you are right now. You are in preparation. So you're working for someone and you're taking their money. You're working for someone. You're not honest. And God has promised you that you'll be a millionaire. Hear me and hear me well. You will never be that millionaire. You will never. Never. Why? Because the context of training how to be accountable, how to budget, how to do all of these things, you've just missed them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That one person that puts pressure on your life is the one person you should be grateful for all your life. Ah, you know, at a point, eh, I, I asked my mom, I said, is this my real father? Yeah, I asked my mom. I said, is this my real father? Because my dad, ah, my dad put pressure. Ah, we will produce outline like this. There will be one mistake. My dad will send me back. And where I was trekking to photocopy those outlines. Oh, they are not asking that. Ah, it, it, just tell me, let me know, so I will not be angry. But you know, the one thing people talk about at ministry and about what I do everywhere I go is the spirit of excellence. I mean, the people that work with me know. I've said, we can't use this for one detail. We can't, let me not see it. If I see it, we'll not use it. That was training for my own purpose. Straining for my own purpose. Today, I can't cook. I mean, it's not like I'm proud of it, but that's, that's, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, I travel out of the country. I can be eating biscuit and coke. I mean, that's just it. I don't, kitchen is difficult for me, right? But you know what? You know that. Later, I looked back and I realized that, ah, this weakness I have was my own disobedience. There was nothing my mother did not do to put me in the kitchen. Nothing. I will stay with her. I will do all the cooking. But you know how you are doing something, your heart is not there. 
They'll just say, do the banger, put it on fire. Just put, I put on fire. What next? Maggi? What next? Fish. You know, the, your heart is not there. Your heart is not there. Many years down the line, now you're in school. I'll tell you why I went through school. I ate in school. So I had an agreement. Because if you can't cook, you should also have sense. <laughs> so two things I said to myself. Number one, I won't reject any food. If I reject a food that you cook, know that even a dog cannot eat it. So, I mean, I will reject food. I don't choose food. I eat whatever is available because the ability to have choices, I've taken it out because I didn't grow up with cooking. So, I don't have choice. I mean, when I was getting married to my wife, they said, ah, you're marrying somebody from uh, Igala, from Lokoja. How will, how will she cook banga soup? I said, See, let me tell you. Will you teach her? No. Will you eat banga? I said, listen, if I want to eat banga soup, I will, when any time I go home, I will eat. I've been eating banga for the 30-something years of my life. If I, if I stop eating from now to the end, I won't. Do you understand? Because, number one, I can't cook. So now, now put pressure on her to learn the cooking is another thing. Do you understand? This is just my life. You can do whatever you want to do with yours. <laughs> but when I was in school, so I had a contract with one of my friends. So every time I bring my food stuff, I will give him. He can cook. So I had this key. So he does the cooking. I do the eating. He also eats from there. That's how I survived four years. But you realize that even now, if I really want to help my wife, I'm helpless. The love is there. The desire is there. Spirit is willing. But there's no capacity. In fact, sometimes my help turns to trouble. You say, okay, go and see that. You know, my, my spirit really wants to help you. <laughs> but the capacity is not there. So let me explain this. Let me explain this now. Let me explain this. Do you think if I could cook, it could also impact the quality of our marriage? It will. Do you understand? I can laugh about it, but my inability to help her in the kitchen means that even when she's tired, she has to go do something. What does that do for her body? Wears her out. Do you understand that? I know you're laughing. You're not laughing at because I'm showing you perspective. That my inability to go through that process can have impact on the quality of my marriage and I can take two choices. I can either say, I'm the man. I don't go to the kitchen. Or do you understand what I'm saying? So what I'm just trying to say is that nothing in your life is just little. In the context of destiny fulfillment. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we'll build from here next time. Is that fine? Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. Lord, we really want to honor you for the relationships you've put in our life, for the spiritual family you've breathed in us. Lord, we want to thank you for the people, the fathers, spiritual fathers, natural fathers that you've put to help us. And Lord, we come before you today and just repent that where we are not strong, where we have weaknesses of submission, weaknesses of not relating, weaknesses of not taking the right advice, weaknesses of not recognizing divine relationships, being accountable, appreciating the process of the people you've brought into our lives to school, to train, to help us, to build us so you can do what you do. We repent of them. And we ask, Father God, that you give us a chance to go over these relationships again. We pray that you will bring fathers into our life. You will bring men. You will bring mentors. 
You bring people with foresight into our lives. Lord, we pray for our families. That our families will become the bedrock for the fulfillment of purpose. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Are you blessed this morning? All right. Praise God. All right. uh, Two things I'll do very quickly. I know the women have, they've got a women's meeting today. So Pastor Mary is waiting for every one of you. Men, please. Thank you for listening to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. We encourage you to share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng. Or you can call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.